Hello, and welcome to the live recording of Found at TechCrunch Disrupt. Found is TechCrunch's podcast where we bring you the stories behind the startups from the folks that are building them. And today I'm joined, as always, by the fabulous, my co-host, Dominic Midori Davis. Dom, how's your Disrupt been? Not bad. What about for you? It's been great. I've been loving all of the panels. I've also been loving all of your outfits that you've been wearing this whole time. And Dom, tell us a little bit about what we're doing today. Oh, yes. We are interviewing the amazing Wendell Snyder here from Thistle Technologies. And for those of you who might not know, to give you some background, she has like an insanely amazing career in security. Let's see. I'm going to read off the rap sheet. Yes. Okay. The senior security strategist at Microsoft, where she's credited with pushing to take cybersecurity seriously, building it into Windows software directly. She managed the security and privacy team at Apple and was instrumental in lobbying Apple to encrypt all of its devices. She also served as security officer for companies including Fastly and was chief software security at Intel. Amazing. Window, thank you so much for being here today. How has Disrupt been treating you? It's been great. What's been your favorite part? Uh, I met a robot dog, and that was a actually dog? really awesome. A robot dog? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> My goodness. Was it on a leash? We can try to top that with what we're doing today. But we're here to talk about Thistle Technologies, and maybe that's a good place to start. Tell us a little bit about the company. Absolutely. So at Thistle Technologies, we're building security infrastructure for device makers. And the idea is to take these security capabilities that are hard to do right, really easy to get wrong, and generalize them across lots of different kinds of devices to make it really easy for device developers to incorporate it into their projects. I know Dom read off a lot of your past work and sort of maybe the journey that led you to the company, but maybe to hear it a bit in your own words, how did you get interested in the cybersecurity space to begin with? So when I was at university, I was studying math and computer science, and I was really excited about cryptography which led to an interest in cryptanalysis. And at the same time, I was introduced to multi-user operating systems. And I was wondering, what's keeping my data separate from everyone else's? What's keeping my process space separate from the kernel? And back in those days, this is the mid-90s, the answer, maybe even the early 90s, the answer was not very much. And so between those two interests, it kind of led me to building tools to demonstrate how to undermine these security mechanisms within the system and met some other folks who had similar interests. And uh, the Boston community had a very robust hacker community. So it wasn't long before I started meeting other people with similar interests. This is long before we had a security industry. There were no books to go read on this topic. It was absolutely the Wild West. But, you know, a lot of those folks are still in my world today. They're still working in security and uh, leveraging the, the things we discovered, developed, identified back in those days to build more robust systems today. Our colleague Lorenzo did an amazing profile on you, and you spoke a little bit about how you were exposed to coding and computer science kind of at a really early age. What impact did that early exposure have on you in your career? Oh, absolutely. I remember my mom sitting at the dining table. She was a a programmer. She started off as a tester. She became a programmer. She would be sitting at the dining room table with um, these stacks of green bar, and she was a programmer who worked in COBOL, and she would be debugging with a pencil at the table, her programs, which were these these stacks of green bar continuous feed sheets. And, um, you know, trying to, you know, tell me, I was interested in like, what, what does this do? What does that do? And she would tell me. But I also remember, you know, if she left it like stacked in the corner, I would like pick up one end and then spin around and like make a dress out of it. It was, uh, I was, I was fascinated by, it, but also it's, you know, huge ream of paper. Kids love that. But then she also bought a TI-99 4A and it came with a book, TI Basic. And I would, copy in those programs, and then change things to see what would happen. And that was a lot of fun, really interesting. And yeah, that's, that's how I 
started to learn programming. It sounds like your mother probably had a pretty big influence on your career. And maybe if you want to talk about that and sort of what about what she taught you sort of inspired you to get to where you are now. Yeah, she actually really wanted me to learn how to program computers. And at the time, I kind of, you know, as kids do, I was kind of like, no, that's not for me. I wanted, I was very interested in the humanities. I was very, I, I wanted to be a writer. I really liked performing. I, I loved literature. And I thought, you know, this was boring. This was uninteresting. But uh, she really thought that it was kind of like a, a second language, that it would be useful in any whatever you want to go do with your life, that it would be a useful skill to have. And the way I try to explain it to my kids now is kind of the way she, she explained it to me, that you can learn how to use computers and then you'd be constrained by the things that the computers already know how to do or how other people have set up the environment for you. Or you can learn how to program computers and then you tell the computers what to do. And then the possibilities, of course, are endless. And so that was kind of in the back of my head as I was growing up that this is that this is always a possibility that for whatever I wanted to do, that this is going to be something that I would value. What was it like navigating, learning about, or teaching yourself like how to code and like, the world of computers and all these things back in an era where that information wasn't as accessible as it is now? Because you kind of mentioned how like you couldn't, I guess you couldn't just Google something back then. No, you definitely could not. I had that one book, TI Basic, which it covered programming in basic, but that was very limiting. But um, I used to make little quizzes for the neighborhood kids. Like that was my idea of creating games. And then in school, we had access to these Apple IIs. And I remember there was this game that had like these, it was, it was all ASCII and it had pipes and you were driving a car through a road that was constructed of ASCII pipes. Um, and so you're trying to navigate and not hit the barriers. You hit the barriers, the game ends. And you could actually go in and edit it. And so I learned that I could edit the check that determined whether or not you hit one of these barriers and then discovered I could oh, get to the end of the game and, and win by, by eliminating the check for it. So this is, this is my first experience with like any sort of hack that, you know, once you know how things work, you can change how they work and, you know, maybe to your advantage. Now, winning this way is not very compelling, but that was, you know, an area where, where I was starting to realize like what the, what the value of being able to understand how everything worked would open up different uh, opportunities. And fast forwarding to when you decided to launch your company, I'm always curious because you did have this long career in the space prior to that. You worked in multiple different companies, held multiple different roles. And what made you decide to take the plunge to become an entrepreneur yourself? So I actually started companies in between. I was one of the founders at Modasano, which was later sold to NCC Group. I did a consulting company a long time ago, even before at stakes. It was something that always made sense to me as kind of like I, I wanted to do this. But also having been early on at Fastly, having been early on at Mozilla, I love that environment. And I've, I found myself going back and forth between big companies and, and startups. Startups because, of course, you get to have a huge impact in the organization and potentially leverage that well beyond the organization. And then large companies, again, because they have all the resources that you need in order to get something done. So there was always that kind of back and forth for me. But this company, it was because I had recently been the, the CISO at Square and prior to that at Fastly, the, the chief software security officer at Intel. And I was getting this industry scale perspective of the device space and how all this work that we had done in the security industry, just for general purpose operating systems, had not really made their way over to devices. And so I had this growing unease about how unsecure devices were. And the deeper I looked, the worse it got. And so I realized that the way that we, we couldn't wait around, you know, decades for the, the devices space to catch up because that was going to, that was going to be the painful road. 
And the other way that things change in security is when it gets easy enough to be able to incorporate it. Because it's not like we don't know what to do. We know how to make these systems more resilient. But doing the work is hard. It takes a lot of time. It requires a specialized skill set that not every development organization has. So what would it take to make it easy for the device space to catch up to the, the degree of security resilience that was not just appropriate for today, the threats that we see today, but these devices have incredibly long lives. They're, they're deployed and they're in the field for a long time. Like you buy a car, you drive it for 10 years, you sell it, someone else drives it for 10 years, then someone else drives it for 10 years. That, that car's on the road for a really long time. How long is the MRI in place at the county hospital or those systems that control power and water or telecom? Those are in place for decades. So getting to a place where we've got the security resilience we need for today is not enough. We also need to make sure that we've got the capability that allows us to maintain security resilience long-term because these devices are in place for so long. So making it easy to incorporate those robust security capabilities into devices seemed to be the best way to make a significant impact on what I saw as the largest security problem out there. Why are a lot of these devices so unsecure? Well, again, it's, it's hard to do well. Um, it takes a lot of time. It takes the right security engineering skill set, which not every organization has on board. And also there's a gap between, even if you do make space and make the effort to create the security functionality, building a security capability from a functional perspective is really different than building it to resilience. So for example, if your security feature is encrypt the thing, you encrypt the thing and now the thing is encrypted and you think you're done. But building it so that someone cannot easily undermine your security mechanism, the reason you're encrypting the thing is a whole other skill set, right? You're thinking about how are the keys generated and what's your source of randomness and where are the keys stored and how is it accessed? Like it's a set of security considerations that go well beyond the spec of, you know, I encrypted the thing and the thing is done. It's a completely different skill set. So making space for both building the, the feature, but also developing the, the capability within the engineering organization that allows you to build it to resilience is incredibly difficult. And for having worked on and built a lot of these capabilities into the Windows operating system and into iOS and OS 10, it is incredibly time-intensive, resource-intensive. So yeah, I wanted to make sure that we could build those capabilities, generalize it across lots of different devices, and make it easy for folks to incorporate it into their devices. And thinking back to when you did take the plunge to launch Thistle Technologies, what was the timing like? Why was that the right time to sort of leave what you were doing and start something new? Well, it probably wasn't the right time. It was right like in the middle of the uh, the pandemic. And it was, uh, it felt like an insane time to go go do something new. But it also felt like this was the right time in terms of the problem was painful enough that it felt like the industries that made devices have high security requirements. So like industrial manufacturing and automotive, aviation, space, power and water, telecom, all those industries I mentioned before, medical devices, financial transaction systems, they recognize that they have high security requirements, but they also need to have enough of an incentive to make that investment in improving the security of these devices. So it's both seeing that the, there's a growing number of attacks on these systems and a lot of security researchers who are invested in demonstrating vulnerability on these systems so that we, as an industry, recognize that there's a problem, recognize the impact of these problems. So those kinds of things we're developing. At the same time, for me personally, I was trying to figure out how to make a significant impact on something I thought was going to be the most significant security problem out there. So those kinds of things converged from for me. I was like, this is the right time. I've got the right skill set for this. I want to make a meaningful impact on this problem. I imagine because of, you know, your amazing career, fundraising was probably easy, but also during the pandemic, it was probably, how, how was fundraising? Nothing's easy, no. <laughs> I don't think fundraising is easy for anyone. Um, I hear people saying like, oh, in 2021, you could have stumbled into the wrong conference room and like 
walked out with a term sheet. Like that was not how it was for me. Um, but fortunately, I, I, I did have, you know, an amazing introduction to True Ventures and they've been an amazing partner. So I, I would say like convincing folks that this is a big problem, that was not hard. Convincing folks that I had the right skill set that was required to go and do this, that was not hard. <laughs> but demonstrating that this is a problem that the rest of the industry recognizes that they're going to want to leverage these capabilities in order to improve the security of their products. That's been the place where I needed to you know, help folks recognize that, that the industry is ready for this. And so that's been the challenge, but it's, it gets easier and easier every day as, as, well, first of all, as the company gets larger and second of all, as the, the industry demonstrates <laughs> daily how important it is this capability for these kinds of devices. And you've worked at companies of all different sizes. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, obviously working at a startup is very different than working at one of those larger companies that has resources and other things available. What's one thing you learned working at, say, Apple or Microsoft or one of those big companies with a lot of resources that you hope to sort of implement with missile technologies? Absolutely. So one of the things that I learned at Apple is how important it is for things to be easy and how to make things easy. And easy is hard. Easy is the hardest thing. You have no idea how much work goes into making something easy until you attempt to do it yourself. And so all these security capabilities that we incorporated into Apple devices are incredibly sophisticated, but require very little user interaction or very little user investment, right? They just kind of happen underneath the surface. And so trying to figure out how to do that for developers, how to make it easy to incorporate you know, these security capabilities, it's a huge challenge. But it's been something that is, is core to what we're doing, that we want to make it, well, easy in order to bring these really sophisticated capabilities into the product. So that's something I, I brought along with me. And then from Fastly, their developer community is the reason that Fastly is so successful. Being able to support developers and solve a problem for them, make it easy for them to get their job done, to solve a, a problem for them. That's been another thing. We want to build that developer community. We want to solve a real problem for developers. We want to make it easy for them to both test their devices and also incorporate these capabilities and build a developer community that supports each other and gives us the feedback we need in order to continue to deliver a great experience for them. And what's a challenge you've come across so far in building Thistle technologies that you feel like you've really been able to overcome and can look back on when you sort of hit those hurdles down the line? Well, go-to-market is a bit of a challenge, especially for devices, because in any space, even if folks need this, they don't necessarily, you do not necessarily encounter them at the exact right moment when they need it. So we're having a conversation. They're like, this is fantastic. We love this. Let's go talk about this in nine months. I'm like, okay, we'll talk to you in nine months, but nine months is, is not ideal for a seed stage startup. So trying to figure out like how to find folks at the right time, how to make sure we're delivering something that they need was a, a challenge that we had early on. But Recognizing that, first of all, they were excited about it was a really compelling point, but trying to figure out how to get in at the right time was difficult. So we've decided to go hardware first. So instead of, let's say, going through a, a specific industry where they may or may not have, uh, they would have like, let's say, like a single industry like industrial manufacturing, they are all using different hardware platforms. So even though we can really easily port what we're doing to lots of different kinds of hardware platforms, that's a kind of big step for them to take that, indeed, we want this capability, but also we are willing to take you know, wait for you to move it over, to port it over to, to our platform. That's a little bit, bit of a leap that they have to take. Whereas going hardware first, through our, our partnership with Infineon, we're able to build specifically to this chip, the Infineon Optica Trust M. And the folks who are using this chip have already made a decision to incorporate some security capabilities because that's why you buy this chip. And then being able to deliver a 
software capability that's that works for them off the shelf with the part that they've already incorporated into their project means that it's really easy for them to then then say, okay, well, we, this is on our roadmap and you're cutting out a significant amount of developer time for us. That's a really easy transition compared to all the steps you'd have to make otherwise if it's if it's not already on your on your platform. And how big is your team right now? We're we're six people. Six people. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How would you describe your leadership style? I would say there's a lot of trust involved. I mean, we're all very senior folks. There's a lot of autonomy and there has to be because we're a really small team that making sure that folks have what they need in order to be successful and then letting them be successful. Like I'm trying to remove obstacles for them. I'm trying to give them the resources that they need, but they're all very senior folks. So they operate with a lot of autonomy and I trust that they are able to do what they need to do, that they have ownership over certain components, that they make technical decisions within their sphere. And, you know, it's, it's, it's working well for us. I feel like we've got an amazing team. This is, I mean, some of the, the folks that I get to work with, I'm just so amazed that they decided to get in the boat with me on this journey. And it's, it's been an, an amazing experience. Yeah. And kind of on that, is there any particular way in which you mapped out the company culture you wanted to have and foster and to keep employees motivated? Yeah, I would describe this as respect. It's <laughs> kind of the other that that um, we don't send mail after work hours. We don't have meetings late or early. If someone says I need this time blocked out because I do pickup. We respect it, and I think I've been in especially startups where it's been kind of grind all the time, like you know, fifty, sixty, seventy hours. It's it's soul crushing and it's not sustainable. And I know that this is a long road. So making sure that I was building a company that was going to be able to sustain the work that we needed meant that we were creating a culture where we weekends are weekends and evenings are are not for work. It's demonstrating that I have respect for you, that I'm not trying to engage with you at six o'clock, seven o'clock in the evening. And so that's that's something that we've really held as a, a, a critical boundary. And I feel like it's been a key part of our success. And something I'm always curious about is more of the personal journey involved with being an entrepreneur. Obviously, working and building a startup is so much different on a personal level and sort of the toll it takes on a person than it is working at a company that has systems. You don't have to wear 10,000 hats when you are working at a big company with a specific role in a way that in startups you do. And how has it been building Thistle Technologies for you more on that personal side? It's been really gratifying to see that like something you build come together. It starts off as an idea and maybe it keeps coming back up. So that for me, it's like I had this idea, but it kept coming back to the foreground. And as I saw more and more about the devices space, it developed a sense of urgency around it. And then I started talking to a bunch of developers and saying like, hey, is this something that would help you? Is this something that you'd value? And then talking to investors about what I thought the industry needed and how I wanted to go about it. And then talking to engineers about joining the company and getting folks on board and seeing what they got excited about. The, the, the journey of turning it from something that, that you recognize as a problem to an idea to manifesting it in the world to an actual product that actually is solving a problem for a customer, that has been incredibly satisfying. And you own every role, you own every hat until you manage to you know, hire someone and hand it off. So it's, uh, it's incredibly stressful. And you spend a lot more time doing things that you don't realize are going to occupy all of your time, like fundraising. But it's so gratifying to have it exist in the world. What was previously 
just a, a pain point and then an idea and now an actual company and a product. And I think we just have time for one last quick question, but what are you most excited about for the future of Thistle Technologies? I'm excited for getting our product into developer hands, getting more and more feedback, refining the product, finding more ways to make these security capabilities easier, bringing more and more security capabilities to these device makers so that we can build security resilience across lots of different kinds of devices and make it so easy that it becomes the default to have this kinds of security capabilities in your products. Definitely. And that pretty much puts us at time. So everyone join me in thanking Windows Snyder for joining us today. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.